Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Perfectly Integrated. I'm Matt Ackerman, the Chief Content Officer at Integrated Partners, and I'm proud to welcome someone who's better than the tarot cards or tea leaves or even that sports almanac in Back to the Future. Welcome Mark DeBersion, the retired CEO of Pershing Advisor Solutions, an icon in the wealth management industry, and now a consultant, speaker, and board member. Mark, welcome. Thank you, Matt. And it's kind of you to say that I'm better than the tarot cards. I only dress better. I'm not better. (laughs) Mark, this has been a really rough 2020. Everyone wants to know that it's got to mean something, all this. What are some of the biggest lessons we all should take away from 2020? Well, the first lesson is that we survived. So when we think about uh, what this all means is that uh, we are constantly in crisis, but nothing like 2020 is something that uh, most of us living today have ever encountered. But we can also reflect on the fact that our parents and our grandparents and their parents uh, went through crisis and war and depression and disease and pandemics. And somehow as a world, we survived. I think of that often. Uh, In 1952, I was six months old. My mother died during a pandemic. It was the polio epidemic that struck the upper Midwest. I was six months old. Uh, Somehow I endured, my father endured, my two brothers endured, and so did many families around us, even though I went to school with kids who were suffering from that. Uh, We know though that people are obviously hurt in so many ways, economically devastated. Businesses are gone. Restaurants and bars and taverns and retail stores are gone. The other thing that we learn besides the ability to endure is this notion that many among us are suffering and that if there was ever a time where we had to let our empathy gene emerge, this would be the time because there are too many people that still have a long way to go before they see this uh, this window of recovery. That That's the key here. It's enduring with empathy. And sometimes empathy is a tough thing, but it's so necessary, especially for financial advisors. They work with so many different kinds of clients, but bringing that empathy to the table is critical. It's especially critical right now. Generally speaking, what we find is that anybody in any service profession who recognizes that it's not always the rational mind, sometimes it's the emotional mind that controls decisions and influences behavior. I think that we can reflect on ourselves to see how we have acted and reacted to different circumstances. A campaign this year, as an example, created great divisions in friendships, which is tragic, created great divisions uh, in neighbors. It created great divisions in families. You see that as an example of how uh, the emotional mind in the wrong way took over where the rational mind should have prevailed. That brings you to that new spot too, which is unification. How do we come back together through all this? Because at the end of the day, we are all enduring a really tough time, but it's, you know, with the election also kind of just so close in the rearview mirror, how do we emerge from all this in a better, more unified place? I think sometimes it's helpful to read history. I'm finding that I'm doing more reflection through reading of events that were similar to this. This was not quite as grave, but I think people felt we were on the precipice of bad things. When you read about what happened in uh, 
Eastern Europe and Nazi Germany and Poland and Czechoslovakia uh, during World War II and the, and the years preceding it. If you look at what happened during the Stalin years in Russia and how as a paranoid person, he had uh, well over a million people who were his allies and his followers killed. You look at what's happened throughout Asia and Africa and Latin America, even in this country when we had a civil war and frankly, the revolution that, that turned people who were connected to uh, England against them. And we begin to recognize that somehow we, we reconcile among each other, but it does require that we communicate. And I find that that is a difficult thing to do with, with many people because they are injured or wounded or feeling hurt or misunderstood. Uh, and for whatever reason, they're treating their political parties like uh, their football teams instead of thinking more holistically about it. So it does become a challenge, but uh, each of us has to make an extra effort to say, that's done. Now, what do we do to repair this? And how do we communicate along those lines? And that's the message here amongst all these things. How do we take these lessons we've learned, whether they be from the election or the pandemic, and how do we grow beyond that? How do we continue to you know, emerge from this stronger? It's so interesting you were mentioning kind of that those business owners, you're mentioning bars and restaurants. I, I see so many small independent advisors just like those business owners, and they've kind of had their nose down trying to get the job done now for eight, nine months. How has that kind of hampered their long-term vision here? How do they emerge stronger when perhaps they spent the past eight to nine months with their nose down trying to just get through? What's interesting is that the context that you set, Matt, uh, for I think the profession is, is a good one because what the profession of financial advice does is it helps people navigate their financial choices. And it's probably in times like this where they truly are earning their money. In up markets, when things are calm, it's a little bit hard to justify your value. But to the extent that you help people navigate through their choices, whatever the choices happen to be, through their retirement or through unemployment or through divorce or uh, other catastrophes through death. This is where their value is clearly demonstrated. And that's when you begin to appreciate uh, what an advisor does. It's a humbling and humiliating experience in some cases, but it's also a time of reflection that says, now that I endured 2020 and I reflect on the ways in which I actually created value for my clients, how can I bottle that? How can I make that part of my proposition going forward? Because clearly there are a number of people there who probably think if it weren't for you, I would have made some terrible mistakes. And that's exactly it. There's probably a lot of, you, like you said, you really earn your money in times like these as a professional financial advisor. But how do you then take some of these lessons and learn and go from here? It's, it's saying, okay, I'm spending less time on X and I need to spend more time on Y. I need to spend more time with clients, perhaps. What are, what are some of those lessons you're seeing folks learn so they can perhaps bottle it? When we look at uh, how this profession has changed each decade, at least since I've been around the business, which is the early 1970s, uh, each decade there's been profound change. There's been something that has created a difference in the way people operate. There was a time when uh, we knew big brand name wirehouses, the Smith Barneys and the E.F. Huttons that ruled the roost. And then we saw the discount brokers emerge. 
And then we saw the independent contractor broker dealers and the RAAs come into play. We saw packaged products become a substitute for individual stocks and bonds. Every decade, there's been this change that's occurred. And now we're at this point where we recognize that the business has gone from investment-centric or insurance-centric to planning-centric, and now it's going to experience-centric, where I think as we contemplate how people should be positioning themselves in the future is how do they think about the experience that they're delivering to their clients that go beyond the protection they're providing or the returns that they're providing. One takeaway that I have from all of this is that the choices people make are more important than the money people make. And as we contemplate uh, how uh, professional advisors, people who are trained to understand the implications of these choices, can help their clients navigate the different courses that they could take without judgment, then that is really a very cool proposition going forward. You're absolutely right. And the, that experience of, of it all is, is so interesting. It's something that, you know, as we over the years, we're, we're interviewing advisors and consultants and coaches. And they would talk about that experience of, of entering the office of an advisor and, you know, having clients' favorite drink ready for them. Or it was, it was almost beyond just the planning experience and into almost a, a concierge-like atmosphere. I mean, when you think experience, is that what you're thinking? Or is, is it deeper than that? Is it more along, the, is it more substantial than that? Well, I think part of this is, what do people say when they're not in your presence? Is it the fact that you remembered their favorite drink or is it the fact that you helped them navigate through a really complex choice? You're right. And I think in the end, uh, that's the testimonial you want is not that they put me in a comfortable chair in a warm room and they showed me great graphics, but uh, they actually gave me peace of mind. They gave me hope. They gave me an appreciation that whatever wealth I've created can make an impact in the lives of others. And to me, that's where fulfillment ultimately comes into this business, that in a way, it's the new missionary. It's the way in which people think about this business in different ways. We all are living through a life cycle. In the beginning, we're, we're earners, and then we ultimately become plunderers of that wealth. And the question is whether we can actually turn it into something that makes an impact with others. It's amazing because doing something for others, it's, I was talking to an advisor the other day and I used the word vocation. I really believe that being a financial advisor is a vocation. It's something you're called to do when you're doing it right. It's, uh, and it's the way folks talk about you when you're not there, like you mentioned. It's, it's really, it's bigger than just a transactional business game here. And I think that's what you've seen to your point in this evolution over the last 50 years in this industry. It's, it's, it's now much more of a, of a vocation for the right people. It has to be. You know, it, it's interesting. I uh, was just reading an article the other day about uh, someone who was arrested and convicted, fined, and I think ultimately imprisoned for having stolen a client's money, quite a bit of it, uh, retirees. His excuse was that he wanted to look as successful as his clients. And I thought, well, that's a really uh, peculiar sort of dynamic because the clients were not expecting him to be driving a, a fancy car or having a, a beautiful office or serving drinks and porcelain cups. I think that they were expecting that he was going to be trustworthy and somebody to help them make the right choices at this stage in their lives when they're not making any additional income. Reversing that into thinking about it as a vocation 
is is a is a very positive notion, and it's one, frankly, that uh, when you think about recruiting new people to this business, it's an opportunity to show people that uh, not only is it financially rewarding if you do it right, but it's intellectually stimulating. It is proving that you can impact the way in which people live and the choices that they make. And if you just add long walks on the beach, it's a pretty good personal ad. So it's something to think about. The irony of financial advisors in general is none of them want to grow up to be Gordon Gecko, but they end up dressing like Gordon Gecko. They end up, you know, <laughs> having that emotion of the slick back hair and the and the and the ten thousand dollars suit. And it's and to me, it's just so funny because when you talk to them, they do most of them do want to do right by their clients, but they end up in this costume of this is what an advisor is supposed to look like, act like the car they're supposed to drive. And that's not really the case. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, the vast majority of people I've met in this business are grounded and really understand that the role they play is is one that is uh, significant. I think we always have to protect against the superficial Mm -hmm. and perhaps help individuals, whoever they choose as their financial professionals, to learn how to understand who's legit and who's not, what questions to ask to test that, and what behaviors and characteristics you seek. It's, it's easy for all of us to get caught up in the, in the superficial. The real question is whether we have a, a way in which we can test that a bit in order to give confidence, because we're regrettably a profession that still suffers from a bad reputation. There is an opportunity after this 2020 period where you've actually done some incredibly powerful things for your clients where you can build upon this and say, throughout this all, Throughout this entire year, we're able to transform the way in which people think and feel about their money and themselves. And how good is that? That's great. Well, I can't let you off the hook. You did just say there's some questions you can ask to kind of separate the superficial from the real. If people know your friends and family, they know your status in this wealth management space. Are there some questions you give them so they can separate the pretenders from the contenders here? I think part of this is getting to understanding what uh, drives the individual. So, for example, what's more important? Is it investment returns or managing risk? Is it, is it the, the products you use or the solutions that you provide? Is it the, the fact that uh, they're always thinking in terms of making more money or thinking in terms of how to manage uh, money? Uh, or can you ask questions about their beliefs around philanthropy and how to manage a person's uh, wealth in different ways. Ultimately, the questions people have to ask really should be ones that align with what they think their goals are. And uh, if, the, if the advisor is not truly understanding what the goals are and how to create a roadmap that is aligned with that, then it's probably time to look for someone else. I do think that people are attracted to uh, brand names and attracted to people who talk about performance uh, rather than individuals who are talking about what is it that you are seeking in a professional advisor. It's so interesting because as the industry is moving to planning and the experience, it's also getting more independent. You know, I, I saw some data recently, I think it was from the Investment Advisor Association that said the number of RIAs and AUM increased and continues to grow for, for independent advice. Do you think that kind of growth is going to continue? Is the future of wealth management, financial planning, is it independent? 
Well, I don't know if independent is the right term. Uh, in fact, I, I often wonder how people think about independent. Is it independent from accountability? Is it independent from regulation? Is it independent from conflict? The notion of independent uh, sort of has taken on a life of its own, and it's unclear what people intend because none of those things ultimately go away. You still have conflict. You still have a compliance and regulatory responsibility. You still have a duty of care ultimately to your clients, regardless of which environment you're operating. Fundamentally, what has shifted is this notion of people in the business going from being product advocates to being client advocates. And I think that by putting yourself more on the side of the client, that that is an, that's an evolution of the business. And it's not unique to RAs. I think we're seeing it as well in many broker-dealer firms that have been promoting that concept of client advocacy as a, as a key component. Thank God. I mean, it's, it's really critical that the people understand that that's their role in helping clients. Whether or not this will create even greater growth in the so-called RIA model or independent model, as you refer to it, or the growth in the hybrid advisor space, or even broker-dealers shifting away from the term broker-dealer per se and thinking more of being a financial services firm that is connected to clients in different ways. I think this evolution is going to be quite natural. What will be interesting, though, is whether or not the technology and the reporting continues to grow in alignment with that. Because even though we may be talking about being a planning-focused firm, there's very little in the way of reporting that reinforces that in the mind of the client on some systematic basis. Every quarter, the client still gets an investment report, not here's where you are relative to your goals and your financial plan, and here's where you are relative to a benchmark. And so we have to think about how the nature of reporting the client experience evolves with what people say they're delivering. It also means that people will, might want to think about how they're charging for the services. Uh, this has been a discussion for a long time now, but oddly enough, this is, this is uh, one of the only professions I know where the client pays for the value they bring, not the value the provider brings. It would be as if my doctor charged me by the pound. I'd be overpaying clearly, but I think that it's something we have to think about is that it's not how much I bring to the professional, it's how much they bring to me. And how do we create uh, an economic alignment that makes sense along those lines? So I think I think those are some of the things as we look at the evolution of the business that really has to, to change quite a bit. Yeah, and I think part of the problem is just a lack of understanding amongst the clients of, of what they should be getting, understanding of, of, uh, of money and finance. I know you're as passionate, if not more passionate, about the issues of financial literacy nationally. One of my favorite projects I got to work on while at Investment News was one with Mark and some of the work he's done around high schoolers and financial literacy. Mark, if you could just uh, tell us a little about the project that you've done in Michigan there around financial literacy, because I think it's something that a lot of financial advisors uh, can learn from. It's something, honestly, that a lot of people should be learning, which is more about financial literacy. Well, thank you for asking. It is one of my favorite projects that I continue to support. So I grew up in Gladstone, Michigan, which is located in the Upper Peninsula. It's nowhere on the hand when people talk about the state of Michigan. The Upper Peninsula is one third of the land mass of the state of Michigan and only 3% of the population. 
Economically, it was dependent on timber and mining and other natural resources. And today, relatively speaking, it is not a high net worth part of the country, with some exceptions, of course. A number of years ago, I ran into an advisor in Boston who grew up in the Midwest as well, and who told me that he was sponsoring his former high school to teach personal economics to high school students. And one who was looking for a project myself, I, I took up the idea, went back to my hometown of Gladstone, Michigan, and uh, found a teacher who was quite interested in delivering such a program and a superintendent who was quite willing to support the program. And so I provided the initial funding to teach personal economics, not investing, but how do you make financial choices? How do you manage risk? How do you purchase things from groceries to cars to homes? to how you fund your college education. It was rolled out as a full year course as an elective. Today, 60% of the senior class takes this elective to participate in. And a number of those students have gone on to become members of the profession. And the other element that's exciting is that a new teacher took over the program when the former teacher retired and expanded it to include other teachers and it's now the only K through 12 personal economics or financial literacy program in the state of Michigan. What is uh, cool about that is it includes a summer camp for middle school and elementary school students, where one of the requirements is that the parents whose kids go to the summer camp have to meet with one of the financial volunteers to learn the terms and the language so that when the kids come home and they say, mommy or daddy, what does this mean? There's some basic understanding in a way that the, the, the parents are being taught as well. So the testimonials that I've received in cards and notes and letters from these kids and their parents have been profound. And I continue to provide scholarships and financial support to deliver this program. And in fact, the teachers recently were asked to present on the success of the program to the National Economic uh, Education Foundation, uh, which is a very influential uh, group in the in, in the nonprofit and the education world about how to teach economics to kids. And part of this is the recognition that uh, among retirees, over 60% are wholly or mostly dependent on Social Security. Uh, the choices they made were didn't put them in a position of financial independence for when they retired. And partly that's a function of their income, but it's also partly a function of the way in which they, they manage that income uh, throughout their life. So my hope is that no matter if you're working in the paper mill or you're a senior executive in a corporation, that you do some things that ensure some degree of financial independence by the time you reach that point of retirement. I promised some tea leaves and tarot cards, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for one. As you look ahead to 2021, hopefully better days ahead. What's one thing that you're expecting? What's something maybe you're pretty confident about as we head towards 2021? Well, I think 2021 is a little too early to predict what's going to happen. It'd be a safe one, and I'm no expert in this because I'm not a scientist, but I think it's a pretty safe bet that a vaccine will be introduced in 2021. Uh, nothing else that will give peace of mind, but I think it will slow the infection rate, the death rate if that happens, and there are very promising signs. The question is, what does that mean for businesses and individuals and how things are conducted? That gives me great hope for 2021. I just don't know when it's going to occur. 
And I don't know if the population is going to have enough confidence uh, to partake in that in uh, the vaccine uh, to make a difference in their communities, but I certainly hope so. So then looking a little deeper out for advisors, let's look five years out, 10 years out. What's your expectations for this industry too? The implications for the industry really depends on what is going to happen uh, in the economy and in the country generally. And I think it is a helpful idea to zoom out 10 years in order to envision uh, all the forces of change that are going to occur and then zoom back into the current year to see what are one or two things that you could do uh, that would influence change. So, for example, we're in a low inflation, low interest rate environment today. It's doubtful that that will be the case five or 10 years from now. Something will change because it just does. Those are inevitable uh, developments. The nature of employment will certainly change. Uh, we are uh, a country that has evolved away from a natural resource-based economy to one more dependent on technology and manufacturing of a different type. The way in which communities are uh, affected will make a difference. I do worry, for example, that when you look across the country, there is a, a growing economic gap, you know, particularly between the urban and rural areas, and we have to be conscious of what that means for the decisions that people make and where people will, will make a living. We can see the shift uh, demographically to uh, warmer states for people when they retire, and there's a large population. But one thing I think uh, as a profession we are putting too much emphasis on is the notion that this is a business built for and around baby boomers. And the reality is that we have Gen X that is earning uh, peak income at this point and are on the precipice of retirement themselves. And behind them, we have Gen Y and Gen Z that are in the workforce. I think that advisors have to be contemplating, if it isn't them as individuals who are going to be serving these clients, who will? Because the probability of them inheriting the children of their parents as clients is pretty low. The history shows that that doesn't happen. So the question is, can they build an enduring firm that will ensure these individuals pick their business to be their guides through these financial decisions? Amazing. Some really incredible insights. Mark, now we end every episode with a question from my nine-year-old son, CJ. I explained to him that you were one of the smartest people I know, and you were someone who help, could help me see what's coming next. I got a question here from CJ. His question, he says, I'm in fourth grade. How much is college going to cost by the time I go to college? And is it worth it? I'll have to help them. The is it worth it part, I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about. But so what do you think for a fourth grader? What's the future look like for a, a fourth grader? Well, see, it is an incredibly good question. And there's no doubt that the cost of education is going to increase because teachers need to be paid fairly and it's expensive to support education. But it isn't just college. It probably will even mean high school will be expensive as well in some form or another. Is it worth it? I think that whether or not you get a formal education through a university degree or a technical education, one thing that's worth it is continuing to improve your base of knowledge. And that means uh, not just in sciences or math or in finance, but languages and culture in uh, socioeconomic uh, areas, in recognizing that we are in a bigger world. And I think to the extent that you commit personally to learning more things than just what's in front of you, you will be a great citizen and somebody who will make your father proud. 
makes me proud every day. He's smarter than I am. I'll start saving now. Uh, Mark, thank you so much. Every conversation I have with you, I get a little bit smarter. Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Mark, thank you so much. Some really great insights there. We're joined now by Paul Sagany, CEO here at Integrated Partners. And Paul, that was a really great discussion with Mark on looking ahead, this uh, notion of him as kind of this uh, great, like the tarot cards and the tea leaves. He can kind of help us read what's coming next. And it's been such a tumultuous year, 2020. And I think before we look forward, we got to look back a little bit. So Paul, as you look back, on 2020, what have you learned? I think the most important thing, Matt, is communities and the fact that communities really do matter. Friends, family, even people I work with every single day, my own clients and the clients of our financial advisors. I mean, it's certainly been a year where just having other people to talk to, people to care about, uh, people who care about me, that's just been immense this year. And I mean, look at you, you know, you're relatively new with our firm and already you're like a brother, aren't you? You're, you're involved with all of us and you care about all of us and we care about you. And I mean, that's what communities are all about. And I think that's what this year told me more than anything is that you have to be part of a community and part of people that you truly care about and who care about me. I agree. A community is such an interesting word. And I think sometimes we toss around in this industry words like culture mm. and community. And what it does sometimes is it makes it's hard to separate the real communities from the ones that are kind of just in name only, if you will. And it's something, honestly, that stood out to me already with Integrated is the teamwork and collaboration is real and people caring for each other is, is real. You and I had a great dinner together in San Diego where we sat with each other and we had a great discussion and it never felt like uh, kind of, you know, boss subordinate, if you will. It felt like just two people that really had some great ideas of where they wanted to head next. And it was inspiring. That's a big thing, Matt, because when you empower people, and especially during difficult times, it allows people to to, to think outside the box and, and think in such a way that allows our organization to adapt. I mean, the adaptability, you know, when, when faced with speed bumps or roadblocks in front of our success, the way that people get around those or find new and different ways, look at Zoom. I mean, my goodness, I remember two years ago having meetings with our team and begging them to use Zoom. I remember literally saying, like, instead of making a phone call, make a Zoom call. It's that much more personable. But, but isn't it funny? We're going to look back years from now, and I think this will be the year where, in spite of all the, the, the stuff we're going through, but we're going to look back and realize just how much technologies like Zoom and the adaptability for other technologies and how that has freed up so much of our time. And it's allowed us to, you know, not only just get through this year, Matt, but actually have one of our biggest growth years ever. That Zoom is like a time machine. It, it gets us to places that we normally couldn't go to. It allows us to be so much more efficient. It's, you know, not having to travel away from our families. Another thing I've learned that in the middle of all the negativity and the difficult times and certainly the stress that people go through, I think that if you empower people, let their adaptive skills come out, it's amazing what we've been able to put forth here and be able to work on together as a team. It's amazing. Um, Zoom is so interesting. As somebody who spent more than a decade producing multimedia and video content, I, I was reticent with Zoom initially. I got to admit it because everybody's like, well, you know, it's just easy. We'll just use Zoom and create content that way. But the speed to market 
with creating content that way is is awesome. I mean, think about it. You and I had a Zoom chat, which we made into a video, which we were able to put on social media within within days of, of me joining. Whereas if we had to bring a crew in and you and I get together in that in a specific right. city, it could have taken weeks. And it's and just it's changed everything. And if you think about that, we're still at the infant stages of using Zoom. So mm. Can you imagine what Zoom is going to look like when it becomes uh, an adolescent and then a, an early adult and then a full adult? I mean, a full adult, rather. It's going to be amazing, I think. Just, it's a wonderful time to be alive, to watch these technological advancements take place. And it's going to allow us not only just to survive these times, but actually go to, to different heights and I think reach levels of success and levels of growth we we couldn't have imagined you know, a year and a half or two years ago. It's exciting, exciting to see what's going to go on. So as we look ahead now a little bit, it's so interesting, the idea of surviving and thrive, and not just surviving, but thriving in this time, learning from all this and, and growing from here. What are some of your kind of big thoughts as we kind of look to springboard and really thrive in the next step of where, what 2021 and beyond may look like? Dealing with entrepreneurs, financial advisors who think and, and truly want to be better entrepreneurs. You know, Matt, I'm spending my time coaching, mentoring, leading by example. And so my theme for this year especially has been about time, focus, and continuing to build great collaborative relationships. If you think of those three areas, Matt, what technology does for us, especially something like a Zoom or other technologies that are certainly coming out every single day, is it does give us more time, doesn't it? That's the beautiful part about it. Traveling, having to drive even to an appointment. But that time now is back in our corner. And, and I find that the focus is so important for entrepreneurs because our businesses, especially as they get more successful, unfortunately, the, the success forces us to take our eye off the ball, doesn't it? And it, it forces us to get away from focusing on those activities that bring our business maximum growth. By getting more time, using that time to impact our focus, get back into those growth initiatives. And then the biggest thing too, Matt, is look, it's, we're all in one big happy boat here. And so it's continuing to build collaborative relationships with other professionals. That's what it's all about. And that's what I learned through being an entrepreneur, through dealing with other wonderful entrepreneurs, is that it's all about building better and better relationships to take our businesses to new levels, levels we thought could never happen, requires that collaborative relationship. But to get the time to do that, you got to be able to focus. And so that's why I kind of use those words intermingled and, and tech really does go hand in hand, Matt, with time. And that's the, the biggest part about the time we're in right now, where this technology and the work that's going on around us, I think is going to really be exciting for people who are entrepreneurs and people who, once again, we judge our success on our relationships. I'm so excited about what lies ahead, Paul. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been another great episode of Perfectly Integrated. I'm Matt Ackerman, joined today. Thank you so much to Mark Tabersian. And thanks again to Paul Sagany, as always, for joining us. Have a terrific day. Content in this material is for general information only 
and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Mark DeBersion is a consultant and is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.